Welcome to another episode of the Original Slacker Podcast, Inside the Brewery. Today I speak with Josh Weikert. Josh Weikert is a, he's an academic by training, but a beer lover, beer connoisseur, beer maniac by night. I don't know, Rocco, what's a good way to phrase that? <laughs> Either way, Josh is a great guy. He's, you'll know him from many different publications. He writes a lot in most of the beer literature out there. He's a uh, grandmaster beer judge. Uh, he's just a, a great beer mind. And it's always a pleasure to have him on here on the Original Slacker Podcast, presented by Round Guys Brewing Company. My name is Bill. I'm your host. And we're, without further ado, we're going to jump in and talk about hops and hops blending and how this new approach to adding flavor to beer is increasing and modifying the, the flavors, the current beer styles that we know. With me today is Josh Weicker. Josh is known around the community, probably even the nation, for having an excellent taste in beer. He's been homebrewing for Josh. How long have you been homebrewing for? Like ten years? Uh, it's years? coming up on eleven or twelve years, I think. I know I definitely passed the ten year mark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Josh has been been everywhere in the pretty much in the amateur world. Uh, now you're writing a lot. You're writing every every magazine I pick up. I see an article from you, dude. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the I'm the contributing editor at uh, Craft Beer and Brewing, and I'd say that gets most of my time. Uh, but I do also write for for BYO. I write the Techniques column for Brew Your Own. I uh, contribute to Beer Connoisseur semi regularly uh, for for Growler. I mean, I, it's it, I, I'm a yes man. If somebody comes to me and says, "Hey, would you like to write about you know fill in the blank?" I always say yes because it gives me an excuse to sort of like you know do some research, and it's it's a learning process as much as anything else. And people, you know. People like that I hit a deadline. I, I don't think I'm a good writer necessarily, but editors love anyone who hits a deadline. Yeah, so that's why they keep coming back. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, you have to get the product out there, and you know, your yeah. your research. You've always, as far as I've known, uh, just by knowing you for the past eight years or so, like, you know, you've always been a research guy. You know, you want to. Yeah. Someone gives you a challenge, like, all right, sure, we'll make that. And then you'll do it 35 times, and it'll be awesome. <laughs> well, it comes out of my professional life. I mean, I'm I'm a political scientist and, a, and an economist, and I, you know, I empiricism is an important part of our world. Where you know, it's it's fine to have good theories, but the biggest challenge in political science is that we were just like purely philosophical from you know 2000 BC until like 1950 when we finally invented computers and started actually measuring things systematically and we saw just how like grotesquely wrong we were with all these <laughs> theories and so our discipline now I, I, I don't know if we've overcorrected but we, we have a heavy emphasis on empirical verification can you see it in the real world and I, all I did was basically just apply that to beer and brewing and say look I mean if if I do something once and it works, that's great. But until I can do it reliably four or five times in repeated trials and then tell other people to do it and have them tell me it worked, then I can't really trust it. So I, I ended up brewing lots and lots of beer, which uh, is just a great way to learn brewing because, uh, you know, the, you, you get to incorporate your corrections that much faster when you're brewing regularly. So. Yeah, you can tell. So I, I saw this article that you made recently over the past three months. Well, you probably wrote it before then but either way i was gonna say like whenever whenever someone says oh i saw an article you just wrote i'm like wait uh, yeah. which one yeah it was published back in probably recently, i guess yeah. july for the august september edition of the um the craft beer and brewing magazine which i find to be a really great magazine i really like that magazine. it really is 
there's just so much talent. It's, the articles are great. They're insightful. And you had been making a bow pills. We were trying to make a bow pills. <laughs> and you were just off the mark every time. So what the went on? Bane there? of my existence is bow pills. <laughs> uh, early in my homebrewing career, I decided I, want to try, I, wanted, to, I wanted to win a ribbon or a medal in, in every category. And, and one of the, and, and so I kept a spreadsheet and I had sort of like, you know, I'd, and I, I ended up in a point where I was down to like five or six styles that I hadn't quite gotten right yet, at least well enough to, you know, place in competition. And one of them was bow pills. And that drove me insane because like, I, I, I grew up in brewing as a, like a lager guy. I, I liked brewing lagers and I, I had a, a sort of natural sort of affinity for it. And for some side. reason I just couldn't make this work. And, and it seemed so easy. Like, I mean, Poe Pills is just, you know, it's Pilsner malt, like, and that's pretty much it. Like, if you use good floor malt and Pilsner malt, that's kind of all you need. And you can dress it up a little bit with, like, you know, Victory or something like that. But, I mean, like, just straight straight floor malt and Pilsner and just a, just an, a ton of, of Sats hops. And I brewed this time and time and time again and could not get it right. I mean, it was coming out well. It was a good beer. It just it didn't have that, that flavor and aroma that we expect from Sats. And without that, you don't really have a Czech Pilsner. What's what's really the difference between a Beau Pills and any other Pills? Bohemian Bohemian Pilsner for uh, those who aren't understanding. Yes, yeah, and and in the new guidelines, I think it's Czech Premium Pale Lager. They they dropped out the Bohemian Pilsner description out of the BJCP guidelines, but it's still there in the uh, in the BA guidelines. But basically, the difference between Czech, German, and American Pilsners are are pretty subtle. Um, the German Pilsner tends to be kind of stark and simple and grainy and with some like floral hops, but it also tends to be a little more bitter. Um, the classic American Pilsner, like the pre-prohibition Pilsner, which we were brewing here, you know, starting with good old, you know, John Wagner in the great city of Philadelphia, um, was the first lager brewed in the United States. And he was brewing a, a pre-prohibition American Pilsner. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have called it that at the time. And, you know, there you get uh, more of sort of the classic American hops like Cluster and uh, a little more, a little more malt character. The Czech Pilsner sort of lands in between those in that it ha- generally has a bit more malt character than the German Pils, and it tends to be a little less bitter. Um, and depending on who you ask, they say that a, a, like a touch of diastole, a little bit of buttery flavor is okay in it. I don't, I don't target that, but I, I, I recognize that it you know, seems to be present in the style. But what really defines it is just a, just a huge impression of that herbal, herbal, herbal sats hops. And without that, you don't have a Czech Pilsner. It's a it's a very nuanced characteristic, and I think when you're talking about when when you went to write this, you probably didn't have any clue what you're going to come up with in the beginning, right? Like you you were, I'm guessing this is me guessing here that you had to write an article and you're making a beer, and then this kind of just organically came about. And what's going on is essentially you're talking about blending hops and creating a a timeline of flavors, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. Right. By the way, that's that's generally true about the writing process too. I usually uh, <laughs> I usually outline and I usually sketch out and outline the uh, the like sort of the, the bulk of the content. But you know, I, I like every writer on earth. I think I, I struggle to get started with writing, and something that always sort of sets my head and you know lets me sort of get into my own voice is when I think just sort of like an anecdote related to something in the in the in the topic in the subject. And this was one where you know I, in terms of hops blending and pairing, this was one where it was. It solved a major headache for me, so it always stuck in my head. So, what's the deal with hops blending? What'd you find? Mostly that hops on their own. Well, first of all, we need to you know throw in the caveat that I'm pretty sure I put in the article, which is that we don't really know enough about hops. I mean, we barely know anything, if we're being totally honest. Like we have a pretty good handle on you know the obviously the biology of them and 
sort of what's in there thanks to like gas chromatography but like how it produces beer is something of a black box for us i mean we've got a reasonably good handle on you know alpha acids we've studied those up and down we know how isoalpha alpha acids work we know why they're more soluble after you boil them and things like that but when you dig down into what we would might maybe term like the modern use of hops where you know where you have beers now that are expected to have large and complex hops aroma and flavor and I'm just going to use flavor from now on because flavor is what you taste and what you smell. And it drives me nuts that I have to differentiate the two for everybody. So from <laughs> now on, it's just going to be flavor. Um, the things that get into hops flavor, though, are these, you know, the, these hydrocarbons and these oils that we find in hops. And we've known they're there for a while, but we haven't really appreciated the depth of the problem. As in, we're talking like, you know, a couple of hundred years ago when brewers and that matter biologists are talking about, you know, the oils and hops and their uses. And when I mean, they were thinking about like medicinal uses and things like that, but they also recognized that they smelled and tasted pretty good. Um, but then, like I said, modern science sort of catches up and we realize that there's not just like one or five or 10 or even 50 of these. There are actually hundreds up to, you know, maybe as many as a thousand different hydrocarbons and, and oils in that hop. And that's actually just the beginning of the problem. <laughs> How much how much do you think this is when we talk about flavor uh, blending hops, which is pretty much a big thing in the industry right now. Uh, every brewery mm -hmm. is doing that for nearly a lot of different styles. You talk about saisons out to IPAs, even sure. stouts. You're you're blending hops to create a more as you as you mentioned in your article is kind of amplify or complement some of the flavors mm -hmm. that you're getting out of the actual. Uh, malt backbone that you're trying to build or maybe some of that yeast character what do you yep. do you think that it's more art than science or could it be more science than art it can be more science than art uh, it's just that we need to do the the baseline research on it and not only that but it might it might end up being the case that even with that in hand i mean just knowing how variable every recipe is on every system it may even be the case that knowing what we don't know yet but even if we did that it might not even be all that useful just because we don't really have a good grasp on how these oils interact with each other, how they present in beer. It's not as simple as, you know, I'm sure I mentioned this in the article. It's not as simple as like if something needs more salt, just adding salt. You know, I mean, like that. that's simple. And that's how since most brewers come out of like either a cooking background or a science background, the fact that we don't have scientific answers and that it's not as simple as cooking means that hops oils are just kind of a, a crapshoot in many ways. <laughs> and a lot of this is just, we need to sort of like, you know, build a, a, an idiosyncratic base of knowledge within each brewery. That, that, that might be the case, even if we have good scientific answers for how these oils interact with each other. And we don't really know yet. I mean, we have some baseline research, out of you know Sapporo has released some of theirs you see it in the uh the journal for whatever it is the uh the academy of brewing chemists or whatever that that journal is yep. we see some of it hitting hitting there but again th there's a question of utility and we don't we, we don't know how to use the information yet and it may well be the case that in you know 10 20 50 100 years we'll have such a grasp of this that we can really like fine tune and, and dial in exactly the flavors we want but for now we don't really have that so what we can do then is work it from the basic side, which is, okay, start with one hop. Is that giving you what you want? And in my case, at least with that Czech Pilsner, it definitely wasn't. But I found that when I added a, a, a sort of neighboring hop, something in the same family that had some of the same characteristics, all of a sudden that, that, that then worked. It produced the flavor as I was looking for. And when I started realizing that that was a productive approach, I started doing that kind of across the spectrum of my brewing. 
because I mean, one of the things I do, I, I do some writing of my own. I write uh, a blog called Beer Simple, and I, we emphasize, as you might imagine, you know, taking a straightforward and simple approach to brewing, and that seems antithetical to it. Uh, the idea of adding more ingredients, uh, you know, is, is something I didn't like to do. I always wanted to brew simple recipes, but I found that little additions of hops in combination with the primary hop character I was looking for was getting me closer to what I wanted. How much of the New England IPA effect do you think pushed us in this direction? You can point to that. I, I like to think of that. I like to think of the New England IPA as an effect rather than a cause, really. I mean, we, we, were, we were trending towards beer with more hops flavor anyway. Um, we were moving away from the, you know, the, the great IBU wars of the early, you know, 2000 aughts, right? And we getting get more into... Yeah, exactly. You can actually drink more than one of something and still taste it. <laughs> but uh, moving away from that sort of like how bitter can we make it, which in my mind was like when I was younger and I liked red wines that were just like intensely tannic and really, you know, flavor forward and everything. And nowadays I'm just like, yeah, can I have just like something like fruity and red? That's kind of all I'm looking for. I think we as an industry just kind of went in that direction. We, we got back to, OK, can beer just taste good again and not be like an endurance challenge? <laughs> so we, we were heading in that direction anyway, I think. Yeah. So when you when you take that to its logical conclusion, that's how you end up with New England IPA. But we were already seeing, you know, it, just to keep it in the Pilsner realm, right? Victory Prima Pils is an outstanding example of German Pilsner, except for the fact that it has way too much hops flavor <laughs> for for, the, for its style. And so, like, that's that's a beer that Victory's been brewing for I have no idea how many years, probably 20, 25 years. And I'm not sure it's changed much over, much over that time. And so we were already working in that direction. But it certainly makes these kinds of discussions about how you get flavors and, and the extent to which we can control that. It makes those discussions a lot more germane and relevant. Yeah, I, I found that beer actually to age really well on draft, and it mellows out I, a bit. In bottles, it's like the reverse. It, uh, I, I am amazed at how different prima pills is between the bottle the can and the draft i swear if there's any beer you could you know use to highlight how much packaging and delivery and service matters that is definitely one because i thought i knew what prima pills was like and it, i and that impression was based on drinking it out of the bottle for a long time and then i i found it on draft somewhere once i'm like oh wonderfully prima pills on draft and i taste it, i'm like i'm not sure that's the right beer. Yeah, it doesn't taste at all the same it's very different and then and then when victory started canning it it tasted different again and <laughs> and by the way all three were excellent that was the most intriguing part of it is that they were all great I used to swear yeah. that it was a different beer. I was like, it's a different vat. They're, they're sending it from a different vat. <laughs> yeah, they no changed way. it. This year's Prima Pills is so different than last year's. <laughs> Hoard it. Hoard it and now. For Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it will go bad within three months. Hoard it now. Um, the, yeah. So last question here. What about you? What's uh, what, what are your favorite hop pairing combination? You don't have to get too proprietary if you don't want to give away too many secrets here. <laughs> Well, first, I'm a big believer in that there literally are no trade secrets in brewing. This came up recently. Uh, one of the projects I'm working on lately is I'm, uh, I'm doing some consulting for uh, Steel City uh, Coffee House and Brewery. They're adding a brewery. Uh, Steel That's City right. Our Phoenix good friend Hill. Seth is now. Yeah, Seth Clearwater, head yeah. brewer at uh, Steel City Coffee House and Brewery. And this came up with the owners recently. Oh, by the way, everyone, go check out Steel City. I mean, just for the coffee, try the Mojo. It is the best. Co I, I'm not a coffee guy, and I took a sip of that, and I, I did a double take. It's incredible. Are you kidding, Josh? Uh, but, but, I live on coffee and beer. <laughs> I don't know if there's, there might be water in between. Yeah, well, there is water in coffee. That counts. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but uh, I was talking to the, uh, the owners at Steel City, and this question came up recently because 
we were um we had a big friends and family uh, beer tasting to sort of like you know start dialing in the recipes and get some early feedback and uh the, the two owners were uh, uh asking the question of whether we needed people to sign like non-disclosure or anything like that to protect anything proprietary and both Seth and I both were like, no, there's nothing proprietary in brewing, or at least there shouldn't be. I can give you – name the most famous beer in the world. You can get the recipe for that beer. Try to brew it yourself, and it won't taste the same anyway. So no, I, I have nothing proprietary. The only the only one that I, I held back for a little while was mainly because I didn't understand it, not because like I <laughs> I just wasn't sure why it tasted good, and so I didn't want to tell people about it. But but generally speaking, I, I like uh, – you know, I like sticking with – you know, you're thinking of this in two different ways. I, I either pair hops or blend hops, because sometimes I use three, but I try to keep the two. I tend to blend or pair hops either within the same flavor profile, or I try to sort of like set up those comp those contrasting flavors. So for something like when I want floral hops, you know, we're talking, you know, taking something like Hallertau, uh, and which is, you know, just classic, you know, German noble hop, and pairing it with something that has a lot of those same, you know, geraniol and, you know, the the same floral characteristics. I'm trying to avoid the technical language <laughs> of geraniol and, and linalool and all these, you know, things that sound like I made them up. Um, <laughs> but you, you, you pair, you know, hops with the same kind of, you know, oil profile and flavor profile and, and you're more likely to land somewhere in that vicinity. So like Hallertau and Northern Brewer to me are, are a fantastic pairing. Um, I use that in most every German lager I make. Um, Mainly because the, the Northern Brewer gives a kind of a rustic flavor that I think is, you know, missing in a lot of a lot of the sweeter, more refined beers. Uh, certainly many of the beers that are brewed with uh, nothing but, you know, two-row American pale malt and an American yeast and American hops. They, 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 they lack something of a sense of – this is going to sound so pretentious. They don't sound like – they don't taste like an artisanal product. They taste a little too clean, you know. <laughs> but uh, the, the, throwing in something like the Northern Brewer – roughs it up a little bit makes it taste a little uh, more natural um tropical hops I, I i'm a fan of blending basically any classic american hop well I'm, sorry not classic any modern american hop like citro or or you know even like columbus and nugget and chinook and all those um i like blending those with uh, with any new zealand or australian hops i can get my hands on especially the more fruit forward ones because when you pair something like citra that has a lot of like you know tropical flavors and things like that you pair that with something like motueka or pacific jade or something like that you get like a, a, a totally different experience in terms of the hops like you really start thinking in terms of not just not tropical in the sense of drinking like a pina colada or a daiquiri but tropical in the sense of you know like you know tropical cuisine and cooking it, it adds just a ton of flavor to it and josh um, real fast when you say pairing yeah. when are you putting the when how are you pairing it and when are you pairing it so well, these are always going to be. It, is it like a? Yeah. Are you adding? Yeah, these, a mix, or are you adding one before the other, or is it one after the other, and then another round, or how, how are you? Can you? In terms of pair? timing, they're they're always going to be late, just because. And something I, I repeat over and over again until I will get everyone on Earth to believe me. If you're throwing hops into the boil, those are bittering hops. I mean, you're, you might get a little flavor out of them, but to, you're, you're working against yourself. And the if thought process. boiling hops and hoping to get flavor. Right. And the thought process on that is that it's still breaking down because the heat's still breaking it down, correct? Yeah. And also, these, these oils, these hydrocarbons are incredibly volatile. I mean, like some of them volatilize at like 130, 140 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, they, they, I mean they're almost at room temperature for crying out loud, and they still don't hold up. 
So like you drop it into the boil for even a couple of minutes and they, they have a very short half-life. Now, I mean, some are more robust than others, right? Some of the, some of the more like mercine is just, most hops are lousy with mercine. That's like that hot, when you just pick up a, a hop cone, rub it in your hands and smell it, you're mostly smelling mercine. Mercine has a pretty robust shelf life in terms of half-life when you're boiling it. But like other, I'm pretty sure it's linalool is the one that I, I use as an example. Linalool has a boil time half-life of, it's like, it's like 12 minutes. It's, it's half of it's gone when you boil it for 12 minutes. But we've been conditioned as brewers to think in terms of boiling as like, if you add it late in the boil, then that's an aroma hop. It really isn't. Uh, I, I, if I want flavor out of a hop, I put it in, in, in the whirlpool. And for that matter, I usually wait you know, a solid five, 10 minutes of the temperature start coming down to below 180, 190 or so. Because at that temperature, you're, by the way, even at that temperature, you're still volatilizing the oils. But at those temperatures, you're vol volatilizing it a lot less and you're extracting a lot more and, it, and it's going it's to survive in the beer. So we're always talking late hops. Um, it doesn't, that doesn't have to mean dry hopping but it can. Uh, in terms of how I add them, um, it depends how I'm using it. If I want a, if I'm setting up a contrasting flavor, then I add them in separate additions. I'm not, I, I'm not convinced that's absolutely necessary, but I have noticed that when I go the other way, uh, I, they don't tend to be as crisp and clear. Like when I'm using the Hallertown Northern Brewer, when I'm just, I, I basically just keep a half a pound of each one of those in the freezer. And on, on brew day, I will figure out, okay, I need for this German Pilsner, I need, you know, four ounces total. I'll take two ounces of each, you know, just blend it together by hand. And I just sort of then weigh out additions of that. Okay. For other things though, like when I'm doing, uh, I, I do Fuggle and Glacier is a combination I use in a lot of English beers. Cause I like that Fuggle and Glacier share a certain earthiness. Uh, but at the same time, Glacier adds sort of a, like a minty melon flavor, uh, which makes it taste more like earthiness and less like the ground. <laughs> <laughs> So it, when I'm going for that, I'll add those separately in separate editions. Uh, and then when dry hopping, I always do separate editions for hops, and I usually give them a couple of days between editions. As in, I'll add one on day, you know, eight of fermentation, one on day 10, one on day 12. Great. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for coming on, the original Slacker. Uh, you know, it's funny. with We're starting to see us actually perfect craft beer now, right? That's what we're starting to see. We're actually starting to see us round out the edges and make the first – Second gen of craft beer, actually rich, more flavorful, tastier, mm -hmm. more more enjoyable. Sit back and <laughs> less of an endurance challenge, as some would say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can uh, go to beer beer simple dot com. I mean, if, if, I assume that if you're listening to this, you can operate Google. Just Google beer simple uh, blog, and you'll you'll find my blog. Uh, read craft beer and brewing magazine. Read BYO. Stop by uh, Steel City. Uh, oh, I'll also be actually. This is actually almost a perfect plug. Uh, I'll be leading a uh, basically a two day seminar on uh, hops hopping hop pairing that whole the whole nine yards uh in Asheville, north carolina uh, on behalf of brew your own magazine and that's happening in march so you can sign up for that they're basically two one-day seminars and you can sign it, it's part of a whole byo boot camp happening in Asheville. and honestly you should not a reason need a reason to go to Asheville ever this is this is a real beer mecca it's you know somebody said it's like it's like the portland of the east coast and i'm like wait we already have one of those no you know that it's better than Coaster. portland because there's, oh, there's oh, no yeah. random drug addicts walking around. Well, I can't promise that. But <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> but yeah, so it's down in Nashville. It's a cleaner, spring. It's a cleaner come on down, Sign up for one or two days of uh, seminars. And uh, yeah, we'll see you around. Yeah, that's great. We're in, Port we're in uh, 
where in Asheville? Oh, uh, that's a good question. It is at a fancy, fancy hotel that I, I'm told is a very short Uber ride away from all the breweries. Great. Well, good luck down there. I know uh, last time I was down, I hit a whole bunch of breweries, but Bramari, Bramari, I believe. I was really impressed with that little place, more of a local's place, but they were just oh yeah throwing everything out the wall. Yeah, some of it's great, some, but you know when you're throwing stuff at the wall, you're always going to have some dogs. Uh, it's just part of taking a risk on it, you know. Yeah, but the but the winners when you brew like that is they are really really out of the park. Yeah, yeah. So all right, That's, man. I mean, I, this is one of the. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, continue. I was going to say that uh, one of the things that you know is really exciting about beer now is that a lot of breweries are not just into barrel aging now they're actually making like true solera beers where they have like stacked barrels and are bl- you know blending down through the generations of each barrel and you know you have these perpetual works that are just constantly fermenting and i'm telling you in the next four or five years we're going to see a lot of breweries that have these programs releasing single bottle releases that are just going to be out of this world it's a great trend yeah looking forward to it josh thank you right, one Bill. more time man my pleasure man All right, great. Take care. Have a good one. Wow, what a great, great interview with Josh. Always love it when I'm chatting with Josh. Good guy, good buddy. Uh, Well, hey, I want to talk to you about a beer we got. So, you know, Round Guys Brewing Company located up in Lansdale, the brewery, and then we have the restaurant down in Glenside, the Glenside Ale House, and our venue spot where we're recording this right now, the original Slacker Podcast being recorded in the underground by Round Guys Brewing Company across the street from our brewery and pub in Lansdale. So we got this beer, Kiss Off. Kiss Off's a great IPA. I know Rocco's back there nodding his head. He loves it. Hey, it's a, do you like aromatic, uh, funky, kind of meets uh, a deep citrus aroma to a beer you know it's got kind of like a halo orange type character to it uh maybe a gold clear with a little clingy white head type beer you sit down you look at it, you admire that actual beer you kind of want to get another glass right next to it because it looks so pretty well hey that's kiss off our flagship ipa has got a deep citrus flavor with a nice matching bitterness a lingering biscuit and cracker aftertaste i love kiss off i have four or five of these in my place at all given times because i i drink it a lot and i think it's a great beer but it's just one of the many beers we got through round guys brewery i want to thank you guys one more time for listening to the show and look forward to hearing from you guys if you guys have any thoughts or uh, suggestions for a show or you want to see any other guests on here reach out to me bill at roundguysbrewery.com i'll send you guys off and thank you for listening